Friends, we're looking at Luke chapter 4 as we march through this gospel, and I'm going to start in verse 31, and the city that we're in, that C word, is uh, the same location as the first sermon I ever preached. I was invited to preach my first sermon ever in the night service, and I pronounced that city Capernaum, the entire sermon, and as everybody greeted me at the door, good job, pastor, good job, pastor. I think it's Capernaum. I think it's Capernaum. Even like one of the Sunday school kids was like, I think it's Capernaum. So now I'm going to face my fear and preach on Capernaum. Verse 31, here is God's word. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick of various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray together. Jesus, the word, you speak words, and they are full of abundant life, of authority, of power. This is not a lecture. We're not just here to learn new things. We're here to watch your word reshape our world. Would we feel a kingdom that doesn't just exist in talk, but in power? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, you know the playground taunt that we said to each other, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. We'll try telling that to the demons in Luke 4. Because words have power, and Jesus' words have preeminent power. When John in his gospel introduced Jesus, he said, it is the word. In the beginning was the word, Jesus, the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And now in Luke's gospel, we get to hear Is that me? Can I do anything? Where's Chris? We get to hear the words word. Jesus speaks the word. He speaks God's words. And here's the main point. Jesus' words deliver, heal, and declare in the reign of God. 
Jesus' words deliver, heal, and declare the reign of God. So let's start with the first one first, Jesus' words deliver. Now we're about to see a bunch of demonic activity in the Gospels. We already saw Satan, now we see a demon-possessed man. And this makes us a little bit squeamish in the West, right? Because these are a pre-scientific people who didn't know any better, but, but we are advanced in our modern age and we've discovered bacteria and we understand how the world works. And so we don't talk much about demons or the devil or spiritual demonic dark forces at work, at least not in the West, which is interesting because a lot of our brothers and sisters of Christ around the world do experience and talk about and confront these things. As I go and travel to other places, this is not a regularly occurring thing, but this thing does happen and it is part of their reality. When I sit and train church planters in India, they tell me about the demon possessed who will come and violently try to break up a worship service. Or when I talk to Sudanese brothers pastoring in South Sudan, they'll tell me about witch doctors who do some things that are like magic tricks and they they try to fool people and they can see through that, but they do other things that don't look like magic tricks and they don't know where that power comes from. I think I told you all that in one instance, there was a village with a very powerful witch doctor and he was killed during the civil war in Sudan and the village gathered together and said, let's together go see where he lives. And it wasn't in the village, it was outside the village. And they went to this hut and it was a a regular sized hut, but they went inside and there was a smaller room inside and a smaller room inside and a smaller room inside until it was a single windowless room, standing room only in which the witch doctor stayed. This is real powerful stuff that exists in the world. And when I talk with fellow American Christians and we wonder together, why, why don't we see more of this? Why doesn't this happen more often? We usually land on a very unflattering answer and that is because the devil doesn't need to. He's got us in the West exactly where he wants us. There's no need to do any of this. In fact, if he did this and started possessing people visibly, then all of a sudden more people would trust in Jesus because of his activity and he doesn't need to do that. So it's here and it's pressing And the spiritual world is at work against us even now in the West, but we don't see it quite like we see it elsewhere in the world and in the Gospels. But here's a confrontation. Jesus goes to a synagogue, verse 33. There was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out in a loud voice. Now, we can't see the spiritual world. We don't know exactly how this works. If I was there and I was a friend of this man and Jesus came into the synagogue, I would have told him, be cool, man. Don't say anything. Don't make eye contact with Jesus. Don't let him see you. But it's as if the demon can't help himself and he has this visceral reaction in the presence of Jesus because he is diametrically opposed in his nature and in his own attributes and everything he stands for with the person who just walked in the synagogue, Jesus himself. He is of the devil, but Jesus is of God. The passage says he's unclean, but Jesus is the Holy One. The demon is bound to the spiritual world, but Jesus just took on flesh and stepped into the physical world. The demon can only hold a single man, but Jesus holds the fate of man and spirit in his hands. 
It's as if the demon is overcome by all of this. And though he is a single demon, he's not legion. He cries out on behalf of all demons. And he asks, have you come to destroy us? Is this our time? Well, watch Jesus in verse 35. He rebukes the demon saying, be silent and come out of him. The demon is cast out. Verse 36 They were all amazed and said with one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits and they come out. Jesus did it, but he just did it by talking. He just says something and it happens. And all of a sudden the people know something's up. This is different than anything we've ever seen, anything we've ever read about. Something is different here. There is a new kind of power and authority among us. This is not Moses and Aaron facing magicians in Egypt with prearranged miracles to do. And this is not Elijah on Mount Carmel with an elaborate display contending with the prophets there. And this is not even the archangel Michael who tells Daniel I was delayed to come because I was fighting this big nasty demon called the Prince of Persia. This is different No fanfare, no ritual, no season of prayer, no running start. Jesus just says it and it is done. His words have supernatural power. The winds, the waves, the fevers, the demons, they just do what he says. He just says it and is done. The devil had just tempted Jesus in the wilderness and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and he said, to you, Jesus, I will give authority and glory for it has been delivered to me, Satan, and I give it to whom I will. But now Jesus just starts taking stuff. He didn't bow to the devil. He didn't agree to that. He just starts taking stuff without asking. Wherever the devil is, wherever a stronghold is, wherever there's supernatural activity, wherever someone is under possession, Jesus just starts taking it back one by one. He'll tell us in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, if by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you, and this is it. Jesus' words deliver in the kingdom of God. Where Jesus is, his kingdom is, and his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven, and no forces, principalities, powers can withstand it. The strong man has come, and they are powerless against him. So his word delivers, and then also, number two, his word heals. So he walks out of the synagogue and into Simon's house and it's kind of funny to go from a public showdown with a with a demon in front of everybody to this little healing in a house with a mother-in-law who's running a temperature but for all we know this could have been a very serious sickness that she had and it's interesting to have these two stories next to each other because per the discussion about demons a lot of liberal commentators will say well back in those days before science and and before uh doctor help we A pre-scientific mind didn't know the difference between a demon and a sickness, and so they confused and conflated the two. But here Dr. Luke is saying, look, y'all, that was a demon. This is a fever. I know the difference between the two, and I just saw the one, and now we're going to encounter the other. And the story is simple. 
They appeal to Jesus. Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law, and she is well. And you wouldn't catch this on your first reading, and you might not catch it reading it in the English, but in the Greek, something tremendous is here. A theme here is striking. So we're going to work our way into that. But we made much of Jesus' sermon in Nazareth. Remember, he gets up, and from Isaiah 61, he announces, this is what I've come to do. This is my manifesto. This is who I am. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then he walks out of there, and there's a demonic situation, and he frees a captive of a demon. And now when he comes into this house to heal this mother-in-law, This is the same language that's being used about the sickness. So captive. You could actually translate verse 38, look at that, as the woman was not just ill, but the Greek literally reads, she was held fast, she was in the grip of a fever. In other words, she was held captive by a fever. The word ill is the same word used of Jesus when he's arrested and he's being held in custody. He is captive and that's what this sickness is doing to this woman. So she's a captive of it. And how does Jesus respond? But he does the same thing that he did to the demon. Jesus rebukes the fever in verse 39. And then the phrase that the fever left her is more like the fever released her. It had held a captive, it was rebuked, and then the fever let her go. And that word for released or healed or left her is also the same word as forgiveness elsewhere in scripture. And so just like liberty could be used for forgiveness, so release and healing could be used for forgiveness. So this is a dense point, but back up a little bit. Jesus announces to everybody, he reads Isaiah 61, he says, look, this is what's coming. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. He has filled me, and I have work to do. I am going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. This is the announcement of liberty for the captives. And he walks out of that sermon, and he walks into the very next two scenes, and you have this repetition. Scene one, you have a captive of a demon, It's rebuked, and there's liberation. Scene number two, you have a captive of sickness. The sickness is rebuked, and you have liberation. So Jesus told us what he was going to do, and now he shows us what he's going to do. The kingdom of God is at hand, and stuff starts getting rearranged. It's not going to be as it was. It is changing. Jesus is saying, watch this. My word frees captives. What was bound and broken and oppressed within a fallen world is now released and restored in Jesus' world. Jesus' words deliver and heal in the reign of God. He does it, and he does it just by speaking, rebuking, talking, exhorting. The kingdom is pressing upon us just by his words. So he delivers and he heals. And number three, he declares. In verse 32, Capernaum sounds like Nazareth. Once they've seen Jesus do all this cool stuff, they say to him, 
hey man, why don't you just stay here? Like we'd love for you to stay here and just kind of park yourself in a corner and when we need an exorcism and we need a healing, you just do that for us and that would be wonderful. But in verses 43 and 44, Jesus corrects Capernaum and frankly us and says, I don't stay anywhere for anybody. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well for I was sent for this purpose. His word delivers and it heals, but all of that informs this purpose. I am here, I am sent, I will go to the towns of Galilee to declare the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is introducing to us what will be a central theme in the Gospels, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the kingdom of God is coming, that the kingdom of God is upon us in a new and special way in Jesus. Which is a little bit curious because we would say to ourselves, I thought the kingdom of God was already here. Like I thought the world was God's. I thought he already ruled. I thought his reign was already here. Doesn't Psalm 24 say the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and those who dwell in it? Isn't everything already God's? But I hardly need to tell you this. The world is not as it should be. It was, and it was made that way, and when it was made, and when it was perfect, it felt that glorious near reign of God over every aspect of it, but it fell from that perfect display of God's reign in sin, and it has been limping ever since. That's why Satan could say to Jesus that he has authority all over all the kingdoms here because we gladly gave it to him. We would rather serve him than serve the one who made us. And Ephesians 2, 2 rightly says that we follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work at work in the sons of disobedience. We've given him that authority this year. And the whole reason our passage in Luke's gospel is full of demonic activity and sickness and sin and death is because it groans in her sinful state. We feel it. That's why Jesus' arrival sends shockwaves through the physical and spiritual world. He's a herald of God's coming kingdom. He is in breaking a new world order. He takes what is broken and bent and dead and he restores it. He's like a master gardener that comes to a plot that's been left to itself for a long time and row by row, plant by plant, he weeds and restores and builds up and renews. Where Jesus goes, he goes doing the kingdom of God with his word and speaking the kingdom of God with his word, delivering, healing, declaring, God is now among us, in myself, in Jesus, in a very new and special way. Now church, do we believe this? Do we believe at the advent of Jesus and in Luke 4 before his death and after Luke 4 in his death and victorious resurrection, do we understand that a new day has dawned in the coming of Christ that has set the supernatural world on notice? 
Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says Jesus upholds the universe by what? Not even his hands. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And I ask you what power or principality or force is stronger than that? He gives us a rubric to see the world. My word is here. Everything else is here. My word upholds the universe just by speaking, just by saying it. Everything else, every other word that's spoken, every lie, every tack, every abuse, everything that seeks to tear down and undo what I've done, that falls in submission under my word because my word and my word alone upholds everything you see and can't see, the universe by the word of my power. And nothing and nobody gets the last word over Jesus. Nothing and nobody gets the last word over Jesus. When he says this is the year of the Lord's favor, when he says that the age of the Jubilee is upon us, when he says that the kingdom of God is at hand, breaking in and reclaiming what was lost, Jesus says it, and it is finished. Let's pray together. Lord, you made the world with your words and you remake the world with your words. By the word of your power, by the good news of the gospel, you lay claim to what you have made and you bend knees and you cause us to confess and rejoice that Jesus Christ is Lord. Would we be a people with open ears to hear and believe the good world remaking words that you speak to us, speak to our church, speak to our city. In your name we ask, in Jesus' name, amen.